Hey, Printavo Printhouses, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Bruce from Printavo. Got Stephen Ferry. Got a super special guest today, Mr. Matt Marcotte out of Chicago, Illinois. He's joining us with some really cool best practices. Ferg, what was your, what do you feel like your big takeaway from this episode was? How Matt just like ripped on our exposure unit eight years ago for like 12 minutes straight. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's really cool because Matt's been in hundreds and thousands of shops and in the episode we go through, um, just like all the things he's seen. But I think what was most interesting was the order of automating your dark room. Cause I get that question a ton and a couple things that I'm going to start implementing like tomorrow. So Matt, welcome, Matt, you want to help us with some uh, sponsor reads? Let's do it. All right, here um, we go. All right, Matt, we're going to start with multicraft underscore daddy. Oh yeah. Mothercraft daddy. <laughs> If you're looking for somebody who's going to get you good supplies, going to answer the phone, and if he doesn't know the answer, because he might not, he's going to actually be able to reach out to someone who does know the answer pretty quickly. He's going to call you. He's going to call me. He's going to call Steven. He's going to get you what you actually need. Uh, I've known known Multicraft Daddy for a long time. He's a phenomenal human. Highly recommend if you're looking for a new supplier, hit up Multicraft Daddy. Um, And he he was your boss for a long time. He was my boss for a long time. That's So he was your daddy. He was my daddy. <laughs> now, now he's unofficially still my daddy. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's working on some cool things. So uh, mention the Printavo Pod. You'll get uh, a little discount on your first order. He just right. signed a Midwest training facility oh, too, oh, which oh, I'm sure will. Are you? Is that public, Bruce? Oh wait, should we bleep? Should we bleep? bleep? No, no, just go. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. um, Super color. Uh, wait, real quick, actually, on Supercolor, they've got some amazing uh, new improvement coming out in January. I'm just gonna leak this. I don't have permission, but um, that's all I'll say for now. Okay, but uh, Supercolor, Matt. If you need good, reliable transfers, right, DTF, screen print transfers, they are the best in the biz. You're going to get them quick, and you're going to have them reliable. The goof proofs especially, they can work on everything. I've used these for my shop. You just need to have something reliable. You don't want to wonder. Just go to the right spot, get the right thing, do it right the first time. Super color, perfect every time. Very cool. And they're super fast. And they have an fast ebook. Uh, I actually sent it. Someone someone called me um, and they asked if I wanted, they should buy a DTF. We've gotten that call a hundred times this week or, well, a few times. And I actually said, no, go read the uh, super color ebook and download it. Uh, Supercolor.com slash print hustlers. And they'll tell you what, what heat press to buy. Um, you can also mention the Printavo pod for a discount on your first order. You want to do graph X source. Keep it under 15 seconds. Got got it. Yeah. Graphic source. Look, we've all dealt with the art issues, right? You get garbage art in garbage in garbage out, right? You're going to spend a lot of time trying to make that right. Again, don't right. Be smart. Look at your top line, your bottom line, send it out to the pros. They're going to be able to do vectorization, redraws, art creation, everything better than you're probably going to be able to for way less time than you're going to do, which is also time is money. Get it done right. Go to Graphic Source. These folks are the best. They're also helping establish good work for people that might need it in another country, right? It's going to help take care of working wages in Honduras. It's awesome. I'm a big fan of those those guys. Uh, great, great place to go with all your art needs taken care of. Graphic Source. Sweet. Printable Pod gets half off your first vector, SEP, or embroidery order. And I think the coolest thing is they plug into your Printable account um, and uh, start working right away, which is they awesome. Got, they got some new things coming into the new year, too, where if you're not necessarily on the... Because uh, you have to have, uh, have somebody that you're hired, right? So the contract. 
they're working on non-contract to be able to also plug into your Printavo and just put things in statuses and trigger getting that work done. I'm sure they'll start talking more of that in the new year too. But yeah, they're fantastic. And Nick Wood will send you nice compliments regularly. He's he's. I want him to go into every room before I go in there. He's everyone's hype man. I love that guy. He's gonna go yeah. get everybody wilding out for you wherever you are. Keep him around you. Good person. Sweet. Last but not least. All right, Marcotte. Easy way. Knock this one out of the park. Easy way. Easy way. The easiest way. What else is there to say? Right. Uh, I mean, Ooh, it's 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 it's, it's 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 gonna work. Uh, if you're looking to have your reclaim, your on press, whatever you need. If you need to clean the screen, clean the ink. Go the right place. Go to easy way. It's going to work every time. Obviously, Alex is a hell of a great guy, too. He'll help support you. He's got a lot of industry knowledge, too. So if you want good products and good service, go to people who know. Easy way. Easy way. The easiest way. <laughs> Trademarked. Uh, we, what, wait, Mark, out. what's your favorite easy way chemical? Uh, oof. I mean, 701N, I think. Um, it just, it works. The degrease, dehaze, all in single stuff. You ever have a locked in screen, spray that bad boy, put some paper towels on it, spray the paper towels, let it sit in the corner for half hour, take it over, comes off like butter. 701N is my favorite easy way chemical. It's just killer. What do you think Bruce's favorite chemical is? Supra maybe? Um, or I I say 110 cherry. I think that's his go-to. He likes a little cherry, cherry smell in there (laughs) with the press clean. Ooh, actually Bruce really likes easy glide. It's the newest, uh, it's Alex is coming out with it. <laughs> yeah. It's, he said it's in development actually. Uh, Bruce, read what's it, it used the, for? Uh, Bruce read it on the pod once and, uh, we had to go back and edit it out cause I was trolling him, but he read it. <laughs> Alex said he is coming out with easy glide. So we're waiting. Um, but seriously, if you need a really, uh, uh awesome company that has over a hundred distributors, they've got great best practices and a team you can reach out to as well. Easy way. Thank you. All right. Let's jump let's into get the episode. It. Um, we've got Mr. Matt Marcotte Bat. Matt is the Matt runs the implementation and trainings for Printavo. Um, if you buy Printavo or use it and then you want to have Matt come into your shop or train you virtually, he's the one that does it. And uh, so Stephen was like, hmm, we, we should get Matt back on because of all the shops you've been working with, you must have seen some good and bad stuff. That's the yeah. that's the preface. The worst things you've seen in a shop, part one. <laughs> Nightmares. Um, yeah, I mean, where you definitely you start to see... Where, where have you been oh. lately? <laughs> well, if you're going to talk about all the bad shit you've seen in shops... <laughs> right. Um, lately... Campus Inc. Uh, right. No, that, that's too much of a nightmare. I can't talk about that out loud. I'm getting flashbacks. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm actually flying out to Pennsylvania on Sunday. Uh, I was in Pennsylvania last month. Uh, I try to only do like about one in in shop per month because there's a lot of virtuals that I'm also doing the training. So I don't want to disrupt the flow of getting those people kind of graduate to the system. Um, so kind of been all over the place. A couple different shops in Texas, a uh, bunch of shops on the West Coast, and uh, um, I do a couple neat ones kind of in the high desert of California, middle of nowhere. Um, kind of wherever wherever somebody wants me to go, we'll pretty much pretty much get taken care of. I got somebody trying to hit me up right now through uh, Instagram, seeing if I'll go to Sydney. Um, so that Australia, might, might, yeah, that might be, Hey, as that, long as you fly business, right. Right. So Matt, what does it take? Like if, so is it, is it for new shops that are just getting Printavo that get your presence or is it old shops? Like what if I want you here now? 
well, you get special treatment because you're Stephen, right? But um, we, we're trying to kind of focus the new implementations, uh, especially in-persons, to really be more for new shops that have uh, – they're brand new to the system. They don't know how it works. A lot of the shops that are already existing, I can usually really take care of your needs remotely, right? We can get on a series of Zoom calls. We'll share my screen. I'll help build process documents, and we can kind of build the out. The, the issue here is that the scalability of in-persons isn't great because, again, if I'm in a shop, travel day, two days there, travel day, there goes a week, a month, right? So I can't disrupt the flow of 10 to 15 other remotes I might be doing at the same time. Um, so we try to stick to if you're if you're new to Printavo and you kind of want to hit the ground running and you want me to come out, we can kind of book that. I am usually booked three, four months in advance. That's kind of the downside there. Um, but remotes – we're wide open, right? And, uh, until until I have a spot where there's no more hours in the day, I'm able to get remotes in. Uh, usually two two hour calls for somewhere around six to eight calls. So you're kind of getting two days with with Marcot, right? Just scaled over a couple week period. And and for those who don't know Matt, um, besides him being um, uh, a fitness extraordinaire, he's spent a lot of time in the industry selling ink and equipment. So now that he knows everything about ink and actually went to school for ink or printing, but don't get him on that because the podcast, we only have 30 minutes. Um, uh, yeah, I can't wait till you're like an old, old man and you're still telling the stories. Um, I feel like but, I'm there already, man. <laughs> yeah. But so like Matt, you've sold ink supplies, uh, you've sold presses, you've installed presses and now you're part of the software. What's that like in the whole? You've literally done everything in a print shop, and you printed. It's 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 been a journey. Uh, so yeah, I really cut my teeth running a large scale shop. That's kind of like where I really dove into the industry. I've been printing since I was twelve years old in some sort of a way. Right, made my own press, uh, practiced like bleach spray and taping things out and making t shirts, and um, went to school and uh, went, went for fine art, serigraphy, graphic design, instructional he, design. He'll never let you forget that. All, all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, went went and ran a large-scale shop, eight autos, six manuals, 40 heads of embroidery. Uh, ran that for many years, all contract shop. That's where I really cut my teeth understanding at scale what's needed day in and day out and was working with software to try to manage schedules and the nightmares that come with that. Um, and then, like you said, I, I was uh, almost for just shy of six years uh, was selling supplies and equipment. Uh, I sold M&R equipment as a distributor and as well as all the inks and supplies. So I got to go into hundreds and hundreds of shops. Somebody asked me the other day like, how many shops I've actually physically been into. If I had to put a guess on it, it's over 500. Uh, I don't think I've hit the 1,000 mark, but it's definitely over 500. Because, I mean, I covered four different states and went to every single print shop. It was a garage all the way up to the large-scale shops. was in there selling supplies, helping them. And you kind of learn from everyone's failures, right? Every different shop has succeeded in things and failed in things. And when you get to kind of be a professional bubble hopper, right? I got to jump between bubbles. A lot of people get stuck in their own little bubble. They know their own world. They don't know what's outside of that bubble. And they're oftentimes, especially six, seven, eight years ago, they weren't as open to letting people kind of inside their bubble. I love that has changed in the industry. And now it's kind of an open door policy for a lot of people. Um, but I got to literally get paid to go hop around bubbles and help share failures and successes and learn from them, right? I'd already experienced my own multitude of failures and successes, uh, but able to capture what they were able to share with me and educate me, I could then spread that wealth a little bit with the knowledge base, right? So the weakest spot I felt 
that I had was the software side of things, uh, getting to know you, Stephen and, and Bruce, right? You guys, I was like, they're a different level. Like I, they got engineer brains. They understand this stuff. I don't know this stuff at all. And so when the opportunity arose for me to come work at Printavo, I knew I was like, I am starting way behind these other guys are, right? So I kind of made myself learn. I watched all the different podcasts, all the different videos, watched your Zapier video, Stephen, like, I don't know, 30 times, <laughs> just banging my head yeah. against the wall. Like, was why can't like I build hour, the, Wasn't that like an the, hour long? Two, it was a two-parter. Yep, yeah. two-part of the Google review, right? Um, yeah. And just trying to teach Good myself video. Zapier because I, I had I had to feel like I deserved the seat on the bus that I was given, right? Um, and so it's been a lot of fun over the last two years of working here, helping with that, uh, getting to work on teams with Bruce to like look at new builds in, in Printavo. Um, also on the side, working with a buddy of mine to build uh, third-party software to kind of strengthen that muscle up again. Uh, so it's kind of like just finding where you're the weakest and build that up. And every single day is a step forward. So it's definitely been very interesting going into a spot that was new to me in the industry and work on that muscle, right? And try Matt's, to beef that up. Matt's also the in-house uh, shop owner. So he gets roped into a lot of product conversations. I uh, I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to print for Printavo. Um, I still have to store your f- trade show crap, though. I mean, it, we we mostly heat press now. We, we we went ahead and printed a ton of these transfers, so now just like <laughs> heat press them out and then ship it out. So, uh, but yeah, I do I, I do also get to put my money where my mouth is a little bit with a shop that I do own with a buddy of mine. I don't have to do anything with it. He he runs a day in day out. He's the the real hero of the shop. Um, but I'm able to test things out, practice things, alpha test, beta test builds for Printavo, um, and kind of have the full circle of okay, what does this look like to be a customer? to work in Brentavo, to be on the software side, the, the Wait, production manager actually, side, all actually, of it. What is, we've never really talked about this, but like since you've been outside and then seeing in, like was there anything that was different from being more on the production floor and then being like seeing how the software was made that was like, oh, wow, I, I, I didn't know this or that? Oh, yeah. Everyone always thinks just build the software. It's not that hard, Right. Uh, okay, it's not only hard to build software, but it's harder to support it and keep it up and running smoothly, right? So when you look at something that maybe you want in Printavo and you're like, well, I don't understand. Why can't you just add this one feature? Well, when you actually pop the hood and look at how everything's interconnected, you make one little change, the ripple effects uh, can be massive, right? So it's really opened my eyes to a simple ask sometimes is not so simple, right? And sometimes a simple ask may actually be a symptom of something different and a different build might actually solve multiple different things. So it's humbled me on what my opinion would be um, on, well, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Or how about this? How about that, right? You have to look at the big picture and see how everything affects everything else. So it's completely changed my scope on what I thought software was and what I thought builds looked like. Matt, worst worst thing you've seen in a are we doing worst or best do first? First or best first? Matt, it's up to you. Worst. He already said worst. Right. Let's go worst. First. All right. So <clears throat> as many as you can think of and, and um Stephen or I will just cut you off and we'll some of them we'll want to talk about and some of them maybe now we'll just keep going. But uh yeah, think about it it could be, you know, training related, it could be layout related, it could be equipment, and anything. Oh. Yeah, Stephen already uh, did a riff on bad equipment the other day. So I mean, the, the worst thing that I that I will always say is the worst is when people forget the first word of what we're doing, screen printing. 
they ignore the screens and their screens are garbage. Uh, I won't call anybody out by name. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but I, I, uh, uh, no, no, um, no, there's, 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 there's been shops I've gone to. And like what, what, what does it mean by bad though? Cause if you're in the shop, you probably don't know. They don't understand how they're coding screens or why they're coding screens to them. They're just throwing this, this semi goopy stuff onto this mesh and they don't understand why they're not drawing it in the right orientation. They're not building up any stencil. They don't understand EOM, so emulsion over mesh, why they're building that up, the purpose of that. And then the shop I was at, they, they, the screens were so bad. The tension was like you could literally do this with every single screen. And what they were doing is after they exposed the screen and dried it, they were taking painter's tape, like one-inch strips, and they were filling up the entire non-imageable area. Right. So I walked out into the reclaim room and there was a gal wearing rubber gloves that were way too like way too big for her little hands. Right. And she's struggling, trying to peel tape one row at a time off just to be able to get that to reclaim, leaving tape residue, leaving all sorts of things. And I'm watching her take the edge of a, of a ink knife and put the corner onto the mesh to try to pop off the edge of the tape, making tons of little pinholes in the mesh, continuing to beat up that mesh. Right. So. Just completely looking at the screen as a uh, it doesn't matter, right? And it's it's the main part of what we're doing. If you don't have that taken care of, you cannot expect good prints. You cannot expect to train good people on press, right? So the screen is oftentimes the, the worst thing I'm the, seeing in shops. What's the quick solution of best kept screen? Are, are you you know measuring it uh, before using it every time? Are you doing them once a week? What, like what are the tools you need? I mean, there you, you can kind of, it's a spectrum, right? You can go crazy and you can have like perfect screens and you're yeah. getting not What's a like lot done. What's like the realistic? Right. Uh, the realistic middle ground is when you get screens in, throw a tension meter on them, right? You're probably sending out for them. Have a tension meter. You don't need to necessarily go buy the $350 one from whoever your rep is. You can go on Amazon. You can find one for like a hundred bucks. You bring it in, right? Uh, and, and you check your tension, your warp and your weft, both directions. And you make sure that they're the same number. They don't want to be drastically different because they're, they're tensioned at different different ways, length and width. That's a problem. You don't have perfect openings, right? So just make sure they're in a good range and make sure they're not below 18, right? Why are you Ideally, hmm? you got, got to laugh there. He might, he's like, uh oh, I might have experienced that, right? Uh, but you, Yeah, you said something silly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I remember the first time Matt came into my shop. Um, my business partner, ex-business partner of like 30 years was like, Stevie, I've been printing fine for 30 years. And he goes, this is my test. Boop, 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 boop. Um, he's not in business with us anymore. But Because uh, <laughs> um, of okay. the screens? <laughs> so in the screen room, you've seen some funny things. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, get to, uh, let's get to like exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen there? Have you seen all sorts of fun? Do you want to talk about your exposure unit, Stephen? Yeah, let's freaking do it. So people, people will oftentimes say, okay, we need light. And they'll throw together a box with a bunch of ballasts in there. And they'll just hit it with three minutes of just random light. And they'll go touch it and be like, yeah, it's not really breaking down. And they get to press and they get 100 prints in and uh-oh, it's breaking down. Well, what are you doing wrong on press? Well, nothing. You didn't actually do it right when it came to exposing the screen, right? There are wavelengths of light. Light is not all built the same, right? Light is different colors, different wavelengths. There's different kinds of light, right? And to actually have a a cross-linking of your emulsions was actually hardened correctly, not just like cooked where it's like an Oreo in the middle, but actually fully hardened, you need to use the correct kind of light. So sure, 
a, a home built with a bunch of ballasts might get you kind of there. It's not actually accurate. I mean, in some places in the country, you got a better opportunity, right? If you're in California, you can use that ballast box. Then when you're done and you image it, throw it outside in the sunlight and you're going to have it perfect in no time, right? Other places, that's not an option. Middle of winter, a wet screen in Chicago, you put it outside, you got a frozen screen. You don't have it actually cross-linked now, right? So you need to make sure you are cross-linking and fully exposing your screen, right? Now, if you're only doing 44 shirts ever, that ballast bulb thing that, that Steven had, that would probably work. But as he scaled and started to do a lot more, that turned into a bit of an issue for him. Okay. Washout booth. Washout booth. I mean, the biggest thing with that is people are just disgusting, right? People be peopling, right? So the problem is that you've got this nasty washout booth that you're never cleaning. And so you're putting a screen in there, oftentimes the same booth for washout and, and, and uh, post-exposure. And so you're pressure washing and you're just knocking nasty junk all around the screen and all over the place, right? You need to make sure you're keeping that clean. You should also make sure you've got ear protection for that person if you can, especially if it's in more of an enclosed area. But clean your washout booth. Make sure it's clean. Don't let nasty sediment build up the bottom. Don't just let nasty sediment go to your drain. Keep it, keep it nice. Matt, I think um, I see a lot of home-built washout booths. I'm okay right? with that personally. I, I don't um, think you necessarily need to go. Sp- I, don't, I don't want anybody to get angry at me. You can go buy an awesome already done, and it's going to be able to move between – if you move three times in the next decade – that washout booth that you buy is already done will survive a home built one probably won't but the one at my shop was a home built one it survived a move it cost a total of 200 bucks and it's better than ones i've seen for two thousand dollars yeah i've seen some funny contraptions <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah what, what I mean, is it's, the, it's better than, better than going to like the car wash and, and doing it that way, which I've seen a lot of folks have to do as well. In the in the dark room, what what is the investment cycle look like? Like it, it, to know what to buy and next for for most people going down the road. So like, let's say, sure you you know um, you starting the DIY. Maybe you have an auto now. Uh, where do you optimize in the dark room? Exposure, exposure, exposure. The first thing you need to make sure you've got a good version of is an exposure unit. Um, not all exposure units are built the same, and not every light, again, is the same. Uh, I'm a big fan of all of them, right? Some people love LEDs, some people love metal halide. It kind of depends on the work that you're doing, right, and the environment that you're in, right? So figure out if you're doing a heavy amount of water-based printing, I would personally recommend that you go with a metal halide uh, kind of an older school, right? If you're doing all plastic salt, there's nothing wrong with LED. It's going to be smaller area. It's going to rip. You're going to have things going really, really well and really fast. Uh, the next thing is you definitely need to get an auto coder. Can, can you mention also you like brands to, that you recommend to for those two? Yeah, so, like I have the Starlight, I think. Is that what you sold me? Yep, Star, yep, yep. Uh, Starlight is great. It's an M&R unit. Um, so they all have one, right? Rock's got one or Ryan's got one. Um, Amatol's got a good one. The, any if it's if it's one of the major manufacturers of, of equipment presses, chances are it's probably going to be pretty reliable. I've seen Workhorse has got some pretty good ones too. Quick question for you: the amount of okay, we can get really nerdy about this, but I want to get really realistic. Mm-hmm. People are thinking I'm going to try, and I thought about this for a long time. Should I buy LED bulbs and try and just buy a freaking exposure unit the second you can afford it? Yes. Yeah. And if you don't think you can go buy a brand new Starlight, last I looked, they were like seven, eight thousand dollars. I don't know what it's gone in the last like year or two. Might be a little more now. Um, you can go to the used marketplace 
So digitsmith.com is still like, it feels very... How is that website still around? (laughs) I know. It it feels like it was created in like 1998. Worst things in screen printing, digitsmith.com. But (laughs) it it still has valid information, people selling stuff on there. And you can go get a 15, 20-year-old MSP3140. That's what I have at my shop. They're great. Yes, that bulb is going to cost you like 300 bucks a year to get that bulb replaced. But they're great. You don't necessarily need to go spend seven, eight, nine thousand dollars You just need to have a reliable light source. But yeah, please don't try to go build your own ballast but one or go get LEDs. LEDs are not the same kind of wavelength either. There's different spectrum LEDs. Um, so just buy a good one. So do you go exposure? Like, is that the first thing you focus on? Like, what's the order of events? So, okay, if we had a Unicoder direct-to-screen um, and an exposure unit, if I couldn't pick all of them mm-hmm. at the same time, which one do I start with first? Like, which one do I optimize first? Exposure unit. In a perfect world, you first have the, the autocoder, right? But that's not usually the case. You need to expose screens. You need to get things on press, right? So if you wait, have wait, to spend the money. In an ideal world, you would get an autocoder first? I mean, if you had like the money to like go buy all sorts of things, you already had a decent exposure and unit. And let's say there's like, no automation in... In your dark room. So you don't have an auto yet? If you don't have an auto yet, you, well, you need to have already some. No, no, no I'm sorry. Exposed. I'm sorry. In, in your dark room, there's no sort of automation yet. You do have an auto, but there's no automation in the dark you've, room. You've got some sort of way of exposing screens, though, already, right? So right. if you've already got a decently reliable, and again, if it's a 20 year old single source metal halide, honestly, my gut is you don't need anything else. You're good, right? Even if you've got like my favorite unit of all time is the OLEC. Right. That thing is like 35 years old and it's a crazy 5K or 7K bulb that is amazing. Right. So if you've got some sort of way to reliably expose your screens, then don't upgrade your exposure unit. You're fine. Go to an autocoder. Right. Because you need the consistency of knowing that your emulsion over mesh, how thick that is, is accurate every single time. You don't have Chuck coming in quickly doing it. And then the next day, Danny comes in and he does it a little bit differently. And now your screen's like, well, what the hell's going on here? Right. So if you have to have an exposure unit to do this job, period, right? So that has to be kind of number one technically, okay. right? But then I would say if you're looking at should I go with a, a direct-to-screen, either it's uh, – I mean you're not going to be able to – don't go to laser screen. If, you're, if you don't have an autocoder, do not go laser screen, right? If you're looking at ink or you're looking at wax, no. Start off with an autocoder because how it exposes is going to really rely on how thick that emulsion is. So um, that's I number think, two. I wouldn't have I thought think that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – agree to disagree i think the reason i got an autocoder was so that anyone could coat that's also it's like, a big it's perk, like the yeah. least expensive employee to buy like to uh, i have this conversation how much that was for 18 grand at the time it's gone know. up now it's like 23 i think now 23 and delivery time is uh 28 months um <laughs> Elon and uh, and a unit. Uh, Oops, sorry. Uh, but no, seriously. Uh, the reason we got it is so because like we could just standardize that ev- anyone could do it. Anyone can burn a screen now. Like anyone can coat. Um, and I think there's. I think people vet, like. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is, you know, robots show up to work every day. They don't take vacation days. Um, they don't talk back to you. Um, you you don't have to, (laughs) you don't have to buy them, you know, uh, buy them lunch. Um, you got to keep them clean and they're going to work forever. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Unless it's a DTF. 
but uh <laughs> too soon um but so like i think part of that like the biggest mistake that i see is that people don't understand that you can value that robot for a very long time you can depreciate it amortize it whatever that is um, and if you buy an autocoder for $23,000, just think about that as hiring a, you know, nine, twelve, like $11 an hour employee for a year. And then after that, you don't have to pay them the same way. And you can name your autocoder something and give them a punch in clock or something and like that. Oftentimes that, that position has the highest churn, right? Oftentimes whoever has to deal with coding screens, imaging screens, reclaiming screens, they're kind of a revolving door for many shops, right? So the more that you can standardize and use automation, the easier it is to train, the easier it is to cross-train. So when you do have that employee that calls off, you're not like, well, that's our reliable coder. Nobody else knows how to code. I think everyone knows how to hit a button, right? So you load the thing in, you hit a button, it does the job for you. You take it out, you put it in a rack, right? So very much agree with what Steven's saying. That definitely helps the process and the cross-training enormously. But... It also does lead up to having a good screen to go into the next level of automation that you should look at, which is some sort of a direct-to-screen system, right? If you've got inconsistent coding, screen-to-screen, I don't know why anybody would go buy a direct-to-screen if they don't have that first. It just doesn't make sense to me. All right, which ones do you recommend, top two or three? For a direct-to-screen? Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the wax units nowadays are getting insanely great. I had some issues with some of the wax units before because they oftentimes would push the mesh a little bit too far and it would cause elongation, right? That's getting, getting nice. taken care of by a lot, a lot of Stephen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, ta- it's taken care of a, a lot of the issues there. Um, some of the, the newer keyboards are great. Spiders are great. Um, of course, dial with those are great. Uh, I'm also a- always been a fan of the ink ones too. Now, if you, again, there's like the perfect lab world and there's the realistic world that most of us have to live in, right? You can get in on the bus of like, well, wax is better than ink every single time. Okay, neat. That's fine. Technically, yes, wax is going to be a full solid, so it's the most opaque you can get. I've run literally award-winning prints with ink, right? So they all work. Don't get hung up on that BS of like, well, this is the right way. It, Matt, they're all Matt work. you sold me an eye image and then I got a wax last second. Um, remember? Uh, yeah, Fast I do. One. Um, <laughs> hey, it's because Mark from Douthit delivers, and he showed up. So agreed. And I, I, I Mark's great. I wasn't offended. It's all good. Um, and and it works. I, they they work right. If it's a reliable manufacturer, you're fine. Everything else is opinion. It's a Chevy versus Ford. Hey, Matt, what do opinions. you think? Okay, the laser. Is that overkill right now? I mean, that's 100 Gs, but, like, no consumables? Uh, that's not true. They actually do tell you the lasers themselves are consumable. There's expect- expectations you're going to have to replace all those lasers, and they're not cheap. Now, there's not, like, a day-to-day consumable like wax or ink, right? So there is that. I think they are the future. Um, there's definitely a lot of issues that come up with them right now, right? You cannot have whatever emulsion you want. You kind of have to work within what they tell you is going to work as an emulsion, right? There's also a bit of, again, is it fully cross-linking? Uh, and we've seen some things. Our, our friends uh, at Night Owls were printing uh, on some screens that were done on a laser. Water base and at a trade show. That did not go great for them. I'm sure they can come on the podcast and have uh, lots of fun horror stories about that, right? Um, so you have to have the was right that tool United? for you. Yes, so you have to have the right tool for what you're trying to achieve. Um, if you're doing all plastisol and you're okay with having to scope down to use just certain emulsions they tell you have to use, the laser is 
awesome. Wait, right? Can you ex- can you explain real quick? Because uh, unless you've seen one at a trade show, um, they're not like super common to, to be in a shop just yet. So laser screen in like two minutes. How, how does it work? Why is it better uh, than potentially? like the traditional process. Yeah. So traditionally you're going to have to either output film and then line that up on your screen and expose it or direct to screen. You're going to uh, ink or wax jet directly onto the emulsion, then still expose that. So it's a couple step process, right? right? With the laser, you're going to lock in the screen and it's going to have little, little edge locks, like a tri-lock system, right? Locks it in and you're going to have a bar that has lights on it, right? This bar is going to shoot back and forth and when you're watching, it doesn't look like it's making any sense. These lights are kind of like randomly triggering on and off. As it passes, it's actually perfectly turning on where it has to expose and turning off at that speed it's moving. It's crazy, right? So it doesn't look like it's doing anything, but when it's all done, it's actually properly cooked in what it has to cook in and not cooked out what it has to leave out, and it rinses out naturally, right? You're film positive. So it's just this crazy light bar going back and forth, triggering on at crazy rates, and that laser is exposing the actual emulsion itself while it's going. So you don't have film. You don't have to do a two-step process. It comes off of that. It's done now. Where so an cool eye image too. or wax, you have to then take it and expose it from that spot on. Could oh. it wash out too in the machine next? Yeah, yeah, you could, right? The Lotus Holland does exposure to wash out. At something, like Lotus does one of those? I've not seen that quite yet, personally. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist because I haven't seen it. I have not I'm seen that. What, I have, what I have seen is I've seen where it comes out of that and goes into another machine that does rinse out, and then it goes ah, to another chamber, and rinse. it does – it does. But, well, not even that. There's other ones that actually have it that then it dries the screen, right, blasts air, and can and, wow. and you take it out, done, ready to go to press, can Dyson Can Dyson build us a – we need a Dyson screen dryer. Dude, if Dyson do that with the air jets, and Dyson's also got that UV for like keeping things clean. If they had a, a, an air vent that could actually Dyson, dry it off, Dyson, and if you're listening expose, to this, Dyson, you could sell like a thousand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Dyson's just that. like I sell a thousand vacuums yeah, every day. I'll call Dyson. We could, you, you go into the sharper image store, like oh, I got the exposure screen, exposure and dryer. Steven, your 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 cold emails have a good batting average, so I do recommend you cold email them. Um. Me trying to print does not have a good batting average. <laughs> so when you get out on press, okay, like talk to us about some horror stories. And, you know, um, because here's the thing. Like when I go out on press, it's a it's a bloodbath. Uh, when Bruce goes out on press, he can't even put a shirt on a pallet. Um, you can yeah, see a video you need about to that. You up the video. I would say eight out of ten were aligned. Skip pedal here and there. <laughs> What are the really, really, really like what is what are some like horror stories of some stuff you saw you've seen out on press or and, the other extreme could be like they did this super well and you should copy this. Um, so I'll start off with super well things that I've seen that Steven's done something that I recently saw that um, uh, Lee did on his press even selling some things for is um, visual controls. Right. So uh, on Steven's print heads. Uh, he made sure to put little stickers that show how the micros work. This way goes this way. This way goes this way. Recently, Lee Stewart also did that on a video. He's even selling these for the rocks now, right? Those things are really beneficial when you're new to printing and you're not wasting time. Like, okay, I'm microing this way. Oh, damn it, wrong way. And you got to adjust that. So strong visual controls to help make sure it's an easy process. Always a, a, a big up. If you've got a rock, buy them from Lee. If not, you can make them yourself, Right. Visual controls at every single printhead. I love that. Uh, some horror things I've seen. 
that same shop that had the, the gal with the oversized gloves pulling the tape off of everything. Um, their presses were disgusting. There was ink all over them. Um, and when I was there trying to help train some, some, some press operators to be better press operators, right? Uh, the issue was they didn't even understand what the press could do. Right. So when I asked a question of like, hey, what do you do when you have to print a hoodie or you have to print something that's got a thicker fabric? Uh, that led to a bit of an issue because they're like, oh, we use WebTAC and then we crank the pressure. Well, that's not the right answer. Right. So what I did is I actually put the screens down and I noticed that where the screen was and the platen, the platens were like this. Right. None of the platens well because the pressure they had cranked it up to like 120 PSI and they're jamming it down and they're causing the platen to be deflected. Right. So they did not have consistent off contact anywhere. So the biggest thing that I think you can do wrong is have unrealistic expectations and not have your people train and think that they're going to naturally just know what the hell to do. Right. You have to make sure you understand how to use the press. Somebody has to know how to use the press and they have to set expectations and don't say, hey, MNR told me this press can do 700 per hour. I expect 700 per hour. Hell no. That press can be 700 per hour if you're doing a left chest and you've got a loader, unloader that are experienced for a long time. Set realistic expectations and make sure they're utilizing all the features of that press correctly. I think the one part that I uh, we had a little like a uh, come to Jesus on is cleaning our equipment. Like we, our presses are very clean, and we I don't like I don't like lint. Like top of I have I I lint lint phobic. Um, if you run a shop that has an inch of lint on your press, please send us a picture. And Matt Marcotte will fly out to clean it. <laughs> uh, but I just I well, how do you bake in that, like the cleaning process though? Like how you do you make sure that people do it? That has that has to be part Literally, of it. Literally, I they know I hate it with a burning passion, and uh, we're starting to do some lean stuff so that we do have a cleaning schedule every day. But Ooh, how can what, the you, morning the like the first twenty yeah. minutes or something? Yep. Yeah. That's cool. How, how yes. can you, yeah, how can you like how can you manufacture when it's disgusting and if a shirt falls on the ground you're just like it's SOL like I I can't I can't stand a nasty shop. It like can, really, can, can you can you focus when you walk into your office and there's just crap everywhere? For me, the answer is hell no, right? So you are what your surroundings are, right? So if you're not taking care of your shop, you're not taking care of your press. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not taking care of that job, right? It all starts with what you're building your surroundings to be. So there should be, I agree with what Steven's doing. Every single morning, the first thing you do is you clean your station. You organize 3S, all that kind of fun stuff. Have what you need, where you need it, right then. Clean it up. Start your day off with, yes, this is my domain. I have it how I need it. It's clean. It's organized, right? If you're just going in, you're like, yeah, get right to work. And you've got ink all over the press, right? You, you, you rub across it. You've got ink on your sleeve now. And then you go to your stack of shirts and, uh-oh, you got ink on those now. That's a problem, right? So, again, expectations have to be aligned. You must clean your press. You must maintenance your press. If you're not able to maintenance your press, a lot of sh- – like I was down in Texas recently, and I know GSG, which is a, a, a big uh, – they, they sell equipment. they got supplies. They actually have maintenance techs. You can pay to have them come in monthly or – every other month and they'll do a lot of the maintenance they'll help grease things they'll do things you have to do that if you're not doing it yourself bring somebody who can do that if you take your car you don't get oil changes you don't change your brakes and you drive 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 uh oh now you got 
$8,000 in repairs, or if you had spent a total of $1,000 over the last five years, your car still going smooth, right? It's the same principle. You know so, what? I, I'm, I'm kind of a dick about this. Um, and, you know, when they like keep the press nasty or like there's just like random crap on it or like random tape or like residue, I'm just like, how would you feel if I just took duct tape and put it on your doorknob every day of your brand new like BMW? Like pretty shitty. Well, this thing's a BMW. Don't treat it like a piece of crap. Um, that really drives me nuts. I'm like, what if what if that was your machine? You know what I mean? Like, I cannot stand it when I think it. But you know what? If you don't set the standard for it, then your employees are going to walk all over it, right? But those are literally like beamers in your shop. And Sometimes more expensive them, than beamers, yeah. Yeah, and we and we treat them like. I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't think, like, have you ever, Bruce just thought about that? Like, wow, I'm, I'm using a $80,000 piece of equipment every day, and, like, here it is, you know? That's, I mean, nowadays, that's actually pretty cheap. You're lucky if you can get a, a press for 80 k now, right? Most of them, you're looking at six figures. So you got somebody, you're paying 14 15 16 bucks an hour, and they're treating the six-figure machine like they own it. That's they, they have to understand the how important that is, how expensive it is, and how to maintain it and how to actually Matt, respect it. Matt, if you it. were to talk about the cleanest shop you've ever been in, w- besides Campus Inc., of course. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we're not by any means. Um, what, what shop is it? I, I will give uh, respect where respect is due. So I, I, I was able to spend years working with uh, some, of the, some of the guys here in Chicago at a shop called Culture Studio. Um, I think you've actually had Rich or Joey, I think, the Rich on the podcast, right? Uh, I was always really impressed with, with their, their ethics on how to keep things clean. They had, like, the in-shop Zamboni to go buff the floor weekly. They had somebody working at every single shift, cleaning and maintenancing every single shift, um, another buddy of mine, uh, Pete uh, Belsoni at Same Day Tees, right? He would actually have the mats that you stand on every single night. They got sent to a cleaning service, and they got delivered the next morning. So they had wow. fresh, clean mats, no sticky feet, none of that stuff, right? These little things pay off in dividend. When you walk in and it's a clean shop, you don't have ink on the floor, you've got a, a laboratory to work in, you feel prouder, and you try to ma- maintain that, Right. It, it, it does pay off in dividend. Both those shops are very successful, and I think that their ability to look at the fact that they need to maintain how that shop looks and feels is a big part of why they have the success they have. Bruce, what's yeah. you've been in a lot of shops. Cleanest, cleanest uh, shop. The cleanest. Cleanest, most organized shop. Yeah, you've been in. it was a shop actually in, I want to say Portugal, and it's funny, I was just trying to find it. Um, so I went on the, the rock trip uh, where they will take you, and you get to see where rock's made in Portugal, and then you go to a shop that's using it nearby. Um they, it was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, literally now granted they were printing on, um, I forget what it's called, but basically the part of the shirt where it's not sewn yet. Um, and then they stack, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they stack those and then they ship them off to be sewn somewhere. But the, the place looked brand new. I mean, literally the manufacturing facility looked like they just started working there last week. Um, and then, I do have to say, like, from a manufacturing facility, like, the rock itself was unbelievable. I mean, for a company that's, you know, welding and 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 laser cutting and assembling and all this stuff, I mean, people were, like, wearing polos and, like, the facility was super well lit and clean. It was, 
It was pretty unbelievable. You, you know something's you know something's right culturally when it's like an Apple store, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's pretty you, know. You, you mentioned something there about wearing polos. That's another thing that I think is a, a, a good thing every shop should do. If you've got employees that are coming in, I don't care if it's the reclaimer, right? The reclaimer's afraid to ruin their clothes with spray back or like scraping ink. So they're going to wear the same couple shirts that are covered in junk, right? Don't do that. Give them clothes to wear and ruin, right? Every shop, I've run a few shops in my, in my history, right? Every shop I've run, yeah, there, there's a uniform. It has to be one of our shirts. I don't care which one, but you have to wear one of our shirts. And I'm going to make a couple hundred of these shirts. We're going to test new products. Let's test discharge. Let's test this out. And let's make an entire run of them and talk about it together, learn together. And then mm-hmm. what size are you? Here's a dozen. What size are you? Here's a dozen, right? And I see that shirt on them, and oh, man, I got this big old nasty white on there. I leaned over and got it on. Oh, man. Hey, dude, no worries. Go ahead and grab one off the off the, uh, the rack over there. Go to the bathroom. Change it out. You got a new shirt. Run that one through the dryer. Now it's a test rag, right? Toss it out. So when people come in for tours, they all see that culturally you're on the bandwagon. You're in the same same crew, right? You don't have nasty clothes. Do you Your coordinate colors that- on days? I don't think it's that that important. I think as long as they're all going to be uh, branded, cleanly branded, I also tend to always be like they're all black shirts. That's just my personal preference. So I'm not working for Printava that day. It's always a black shirt for me, right? So it just has to have the logo and a cool design. And they feel proud about that too, especially if they get to, hey, Europe, this quarter, you're going to print the new tees. Oh, awesome. And so for the next quarter where they're seeing all their friends in the shop wearing the shirts they printed – that's a pride point. When they're going to Starbucks after work, they're now marketing for you, right? When they're wearing that shirt. So I'm a big fan of saying, hey, you have to wear one of our shirts when you come to work. But make them cool. Don't make them boring. Make them cool, right? I, and let uh, them get those dirty. I found the shop. I just put it in the chat here so you could see. And, and we'll pop it up. Chris, if you could pop this up so people could see. It's the bottom photo of the half, but you can just see a little <laughs> version. I just of, see a picture of Ross with some wine. Oh yeah. Sorry. Scroll <laughs> on the second screen. <laughs> the second wow. slide there. Yeah. That was their place. Pretty big. Um, uh, one thing I want to mention that you Farrick do, and I know Brett at printed through, as I saw a lot is you, you put a lot of like floor labels down and I think that was pretty cool. Not all shops do. Can you talk about like how, how you set that up or, or you know, what's best to make that easy? It's Kind of a cool two-second lean thing, too. Yeah. Um, so, like, what Matt alluded to was, like, um, I can't print, so I, I need some visual, like, memory things to learn what way to do my micros. And so I made stickers on the floor because I was like, if I don't know this, someone else is not going to know it. So I would just print these little floor stickers, get them from Sign365 or, you know, one of the sticker companies, 48hourprint.com. Um, and, and we did, like, everything, right? Like, uh, where things go, you know, like just very basic this go embroidery when it dropped off goes here screen printing boxes go here orders for bag and tag go here you know uh quality control zone over here um yeah basically that just just labeling things and putting them on the floor so that there's no reason why people can't see them or um, like where, where do i find this well it's always the same spot and it's taped that on the floor with that sign this is your your next job is right here always, yep. right? Your finished goods yep. are here always. And it's yep. easier for training. Oh, man, Stephen showed me once. I forget. You don't need to ask anybody. Use your eyes, right? So visual controls, absolutely. Yeah, so we use a lot of, a lot of, the, a lot of the floor stickers. Do you, you used to have them tied to 
Printavo statuses too. Did you do you not do that now? Um, it was like I, if it's ready for pickup, it was like the same. It color was like yellow. And yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. So like if ready for pickup was yellow, yeah, I'd make the status yellow. Um, I have no. A lot of people ask me what my statuses and stuff are now. I haven't. I haven't been in Printavo <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> if I go in there, they'll be like, Steven, please don't touch anything." Like, yep, no problem. I'm out of there. Delete your. Delete your. your yeah, change you your can, password. You can, you can send it to. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they. But that was cool. I, yeah. I just thought that was a cool way to tie like smart. The you know the software. Yeah, I, I've to seen the... QR codes to um um procedures to them. Yeah, I mean Q- QR I, codes. That's a big one. Scott is is at King Screen. I mean, he's kind of like the. Uh, the king of this stuff, literally yeah. king screen, right? He's he's going back to like the exposure units, right? He's got QR codes on the exposure unit. So if you may have been trained once, but you're not the one doing it normally and you forget, cool, scan the QR code and watch a quick little two-minute video on how to use that machine right then. People are going to have their phones on them, right? You can you can lie yeah. to yourself so they're not going to. Have them scan that and they watch it. And don't, don't spend forever video editing. None of that stuff. Just quick and There's, dirty, grab um, your phone, film it. So actually really cool. There's a tool called Loom. Um, started at U of I. Um, right. A kid, I didn't know uh, that. You're younger than us, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Older than us. Yeah. Um, shout out Vinay. You're not listening to this, but we appreciate you. Um, anyways, so Loom, uh, you can quickly screen record, um, but you can also record on your phone now and it creates a really quick link. So when I actually want to send a video message to like the team of like, hey guys, I see this, 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 and this. I like record it on a loom, put it in Slack, pin it to the top, and it's there. So just discovered that last week. I didn't um, know that. That's nice. I use yeah. the hell out of loom. I didn't know about that feature. That's yeah, great. the loom app is filthy. Um, and what's cool about it is you can see every time it was viewed. Mm-hmm. And who viewed it? Yeah. So I'll put hidden <laughs> things in there and be like, if you made it this far, message Steven and say you're a good listener for some Starbucks. Yeah. Pro, pro uh, tip. I also use Loom for the, for the print shop that I own. We also use Loom in every single quote we send, every single one, right? You make that quote, you quickly look at the public invoice view, you turn Loom on, a little talking bubble in the corner with your face in there, and you spend under two minutes reviewing the entire quote oh, wow. to the customer. Well, not, not and everyone I sends that two, hyperlink. Nope. No one, not everyone sends two quotes out a week. Okay. Like, (laughs) Uh, so you embed, you put the hyperlink as the first thing in the customer notes, watch your custom video. And then my automated email says, please be sure to watch custom video. It feels really good to, to get your name mentioned in a quote like that. My accountant, my account, my old accountant used to send me looms and I thought it was so impressive. Like we're going to go over your books here. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I'm Matt. Send me one of those. Cause I'm going to start doing that tomorrow. Yeah. I'll send you one right after this call, but it's, we, we started doing it a couple months ago. We got, now we have less emails asking questions, right? They, it goes way faster. Speed to press is all we're trying to do in Printavo, right? So speed to quote approval has skyrocketed for us since doing that. And they usually go with, wow, that was awesome. What tool was that? Right? So now you got a talking point as well. It's, Big fan. That's cool. Big, big fan. Um, random uh, kind of nerdy moment, but there is AI now that will, if you record the video and say like sub in the name here at this timestamp, it will take the name and knows how you talk in your face and will sub in that person's name. So it looks like you say it and you could do this like at a higher scale. Uh, I saw it last week. Anyway. Okay. 
Last one uh, before you wrap here. Is there anything that's very undervalued just overall in the shop that somebody could do tomorrow to uh, be able to help that you've seen? Communication is undervalued, right? Oftentimes the lowest totem on the pole you kind of ignore, right? And oftentimes they might be having to deal with the most crap, right? Crap rolls downhill. I think talking to the person who's the catcher of the crap and trying to get their insight um, let them be descriptive, prescriptive, whatever it needs to be to kind of solve what they see as an issue. I oftentimes go into shops and I'll talk to the person who is like in the corner, covered in ink, dealing with the mess. I'm like, hey, what are your thoughts here? And they'll explain exactly what needs to happen, but they're afraid to speak up. Right. So what do, you, think, what do you do, though? Like, what is the action then from this? Have meetings. Right. I don't want to like kill everybody, and like meet every single day. Right. That might be yeah. a little rough. But I think you need to have different like group meetings at least weekly. And I do think it's important to also have different people lead those meetings and talk about it like, hey, Friday, you're going to talk about this. I want you to look at your scope of what you're doing. And I want you to have just a couple key points, talk a couple minutes about it. And it's going to help let them elevate what they deal with every day and share the scope because you get stuck in your bubble of what you're doing all day long. You forget how hard it might be to do other things. You forget how what you're doing affects the next domino that has to fall, right? So I think communication I oftentimes see is you got the, the egotistical press operator who gets a bigger, bigger ego because they're doing the sim process work and they think that they're the bee's knees, right? And they're forgetting that what they're doing is they're also leaving their screens disgusting and they're making a mess and it's going to affect the next couple of people. And that actually affects your bottom line, right? So I think it's really important to elevate everybody in your shop, no matter how low they might be on the perceived total. Yeah, we, we've said at Canvas saying tribal knowledge is not is like we want to eliminate tribal knowledge. Um, and sometimes like people protect tribal knowledge because they're thinking they're protecting their job. Um, and uh, you have to you have to try and eliminate that as quickly as possible. Um, it's funny how like the next level growth of a person is actually like trying to get yourself out of that job. So to move up to the next one is like sharing everything and documenting and processing it. But yeah, I, I tell this to our team. I go like, you will never get promoted unless you can get replaced. Whoa. Did you tweet that? You should tweet that. That's a good one liner. I like that. That is a really good one liner. <laughs> yeah. You will never get promoted unless you can be replaced. And if you're not a good, replaceable, a good manager then, then you manages himself out of a job. That's what yeah. a manager's supposed to do. Yeah. And so like it's fun to talk to the, the, the younger team about growth. Like, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see yourself in a year? I'm like, okay, like, you know, how do you get yourself out of this? You know? Um, some people can never get themselves out of it and they're just great operators. That's totally fine. Right? Um, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's my hot take. Love it. All right. I think that was a good episode thoughts. We're gonna have to do another one. Okay. I can keep going. You pull the string. I gotta go. So whenever you want. <laughs> Marcot, thank you so much. Mr. Matt Marcot, Matt at printable.com. Stephen Ferg, Bruce from Printable. Thank you for listening to Printable Pronounces podcast. See you in the next episode. Bye.